with uh, complaining about uh, uh, and feeling defeated by what's happening in the culture and, and, and really feeling like we're losing this battle and complaining about what people outside the church aren't doing that they're supposed to be doing. But rather, we want to be a church who's celebrating the victories that God is doing in our lives and believing that God is victorious. And that he's called us to get into the culture and do something about it. Not worry about what everyone's not doing, but worry about what we should be doing. And save families. We just feel this tug on our heart. I hope you guys are experiencing that tug with us as we believe it's God. Amen. Okay? So that's what that's all about. You're going to be hearing more about it. And if you can't tell already, I'm excited. <laughs> right? Like if this was Facebook, but it's real life, right? This is Lifebook. This is Lifebook. You know how some people do it? I would never do it because I just can't pull it off. But they just like do that thing where they go feeling and then whatever emotion they're feeling. Just want to let you know. Right? Like, feeling excited. That's Kenny. Right? With the right emoji. I'm going to have to work with Brittany on what emoji face works with that. But I'm excited. And I don't think it's because it might be. But I don't think it's because I worked the last three days and I didn't sleep very much. Because that is true. And that's called delirium. But and that might be a part of it. And, and I don't think it's because I have four donuts this morning. Because I didn't. Right? Because if you're a pastor, you have to have some self-control. So after three, I was like, that's it. Drawing the line. Three donuts. But I think I'm excited. We had an elder meeting today. And we were just talking about what God's doing and what God wants to do about you guys. And we're excited. We're going to have an elder and staff meeting next week. We're just excited about what God's doing to close out the year and moving us into 2016. We're going to have a big leadership meeting for like key leaders coming up. And then we're going to just like launch it to you guys. What we feel like God's saying. And it's really just, if you're, if you're starting to go like worried, we're not going in a different direction. <laughs> We feel like God's given us some momentum, and we're just genuine, genuinely excited. Because we believe this. We don't know what God's doing, but we know He's doing something. And we know He knows. And we know He's called us to partner with Him. And we know He's called us to partner with Him. And so our job is really to say, God, what do you want us to do? What are we, how can we partner with you in what you're doing? That's what we're about. So let's pray. Um, and and as, we, as we're preparing to pray, I just want to throw this out there. One of the things that we're doing in this season is we're, work, we're, we're looking for a children's ministry coordinator, right? We're, we have an awesome children's ministry. We're in transition, and we're just asking God. We're doing some interviews. If you know anybody who you think would be great at that, have them email their resume to Brittany. But it's just exciting, all the things that God's doing, and we just want to partner with them. We want to find the right fits, and we want to do that together. We want to pray for that. And as we're finishing out this year, there's a few spots that we have in our children's ministry because we don't, we only do one service, so we can't have children's ministry people, you know, do it all the time. We do teamwork. You, we need some people that would be willing to just do it one time a month. Now, here's the thing. I don't want people who are like, okay, I'll begrudgingly do it if someone has to do it. You're not the guy or gal. And I say guy because we need some guys too, Right? You're not the guy. But it's, if, if you've ever done it or you'd like to fill in that position, I just want you to know that there's a wide open spot for you. We'd love to have you. So just let us know. Let Cassie know. Let Brittany know. Let me know. And we will walk you through the process. We won't throw you in there next month. We will walk you through the process if you need training, all that stuff. Amen? Amen. That was my dance move. Let's pray. <laughs> that was the donuts. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Fathers, thank you for this day.
thank you for the air that we get to breathe. I thank you for the dance team. I thank you for safe families that we can no longer say. We see all the problems in the world. We have no idea what to do. You've laid something at our feet. I pray that you'd help us to do it well. I pray that you'd help us to do everything that you called us to do and do it well and to not get caught up doing things you didn't call us to do. So give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 because we're working through this series on Galatians and we are in chapter 3. That's why chapter 3 verse 15 to be exact. You can turn there. And so today we're going to do this, this series, and I mean this, uh, this teaching is called Get Alive. You ever heard that? It's usually used in a negative kind of, yeah, get alive. But today we're going to look at it in a positive way because in the middle of this text that we're going to see today... Paul is, is, is picking up on an argument that he's, that he's really making in this, in this letter that, that the gospel, the true gospel, is not about Jesus plus a bunch of things that you need to do. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. And when you're captivated by Jesus, it compels you to want to do those things, and we call that worship. But we should never think that those things that we are called to do are, are to earn our way to God's pleasure. Because He's already pleased with us, and we, 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 we operate out of that pleasure. It's called worship. And so Paul's making this argument, and if you don't know the story, basically Jesus comes. Um, you probably heard that part of the story, right? Jesus was here, died on a cross. He, he, he rose again three days later. He spent 40 days with eyewitnesses seeing Jesus, him doing more teaching, and he ascended to heaven. And then he launched the church. The church on Pentecost was launched as a very small group in Jerusalem, and they started in Jerusalem growing. And then through circumstances, really just like what we would call negative circumstances, like persecution and stuff, the church starts to spread out, right? It goes to, 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 some, to, to Samaria, it goes to Ethiopia, it's going all over the place, and there's these people that are excited about Jesus, and there's people that hated Jesus. And one of those guys, his name was Saul of Tarsus. He's Paul. But before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He hated Christians. He was trying to stop them, trying to kill them, because he was a very devout Jew. And he thought that this Jesus movement was, was, was anti-God. But he was wrong. You know, when he was going to persecute the church on the road to Damascus, Jesus meets with Paul. He has this encounter with Jesus. It transforms his life radically. He didn't need to do anything. It was just, at that moment, Paul, start following me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you of your sins. That's what I came for. Forgive you of your sins. Give you a new start, a new life. Paul takes that, and he runs with it. He has a new life in Christ. Now he's going all over the place, and he's just telling him, look, I'm nobody here to tell everybody about somebody. That's his message. And he's going, and this first missionary journey goes through this whole region. One of the regions is through the, the middle of uh, Asia Minor at the time. It's modern-day Turkey, and it's called the region of Galatia. The whole region. And he tells them about Jesus. They get excited. Churches get planted. And then Paul moves on because he does a lot in his life. He's a missionary. He ends up having three missionary journeys. This is right at the beginning of the gospel spreading. Paul's a huge part of it. And then as he leaves, 
He, hears, he starts to hear news about this region of Galatia. After he left, they had this great start. They were all excited about Jesus. And then these people came in. They were called the Judaizers. And they started saying, you know what? Paul was a little, a little weird. He had a simple message. It was good. You know, Jesus and Jesus only. Sounds cool, right? But that's not the whole thing. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to do all these Jewish things. And it was killing them was oppressing them. Paul writes this letter saying, no, they're wrong. He goes, I can't believe, I'm astonished that you're believing them. That bad news when you have such good news. That Jesus and Jesus alone saves. And that once you get saved, just the, the impact of that salvation will lead you to want to do things. But it's not the other way around. It's not we do things to make God love us. Because it'll never work. So we've been walking through this true gospel. And in, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, there's an awesome, awesome section we're going to deal with today. called get a, and it's, I call it get a life. Because he's going to say those things that they're telling you they don't give life. That's the problem. And I think this is a, a question that we can all kind of wrap our, 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 our hands around, right? What get a life? Or, or what is life? What's the meaning of life? I think we all would like to believe that life is more about just breathing, going to work, and then think, you know, TGIF, and then whatever happens on the weekend, and then back to work, and then all like this. It's not about these patterns of, uh, those don't feel like life. We want life to the full. We want something more. And Paul's like, that's not it. That won't lead there. And we all talk about this in different ways, right? Even on commercials, right? You ever heard that? It's not about hugging trees. <laughs> it's also not about being wasteful. Right? No, Matthew McConaughey, just what are you doing with that thing anyways? Like playing with a butter or something. That was the donut. <laughs> What are you even doing? And you're trying to sell me a car. What are you? That's not life, but we love this conversation about what is really life. Right? I apologize for that. But at this point, with all these donuts, I'm not even that sorry. That's part of what I'm apologizing for. Now, here's the thing. What Paul's going to say first is he's going to say this in a really bold way. He's going to say, everything is about Jesus. Why are you so wrapped up about this? We get wrapped about we get wrapped up about the wrong things as a church. We do. We get all bent out of shape. Paul's not getting all bent out of shape about the wrong things. He's getting bent out of shape about the fact that someone's saying it's not all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. We're going to see in this argument today. And everything points to Jesus, the first thing in your notes. Everything points to Jesus. The first thing he's going to say is he's going to say God's promise to Abraham points to Jesus. If you don't know the storyline of Genesis 1, right, God creates everything. By Genesis 3, it all unravels because Adam and Eve sinned. And then God comes, though, and he initiates the, the, the restoration of that, that, 
of that relationship, doesn't he? He initiates. God initiates. He covers them with animal skin. There's a ton of, uh, of meaning behind that. We don't have time to go into today. But God's always coming and rescuing and trying to repair the relationship with his people. Well, after that, things start getting even worse in Genesis, right? All the way to the point where there's, it's just so bad that there's a worldwide flood. The, the, the story is Noah comes. Now there's eight people on the earth. It starts to develop again. They get it wrong again, right? The Tower of Babel. Now everybody's separated all over the place. One of those places is a pagan place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And who knows why? But God decides again to initiate relationship with his people and restore them. He goes to a guy named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, right in the beginning of the Bible. And he goes to Abraham and he says, you're going to leave this place. And you're going to go to a place that I'm calling you to. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your offspring. God is always initiating and trying to bring people back to Jesus. He's always trying to bring people back to himself. So let's pick it up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 18. It says... To give a human example. A human example of what? Of the fact that it's not about works. It's about grace. He goes to give a human example of this. Brothers. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings. Referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it, it, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. What we're seeing here is that God's promise to Abraham points to Jesus. And Paul makes three arguments in here, and I want to cover them with you before we move on. The first thing he says is that God made a promise to Abraham by grace. In Genesis chapter 12, why did God pick Abraham? We don't know. It wasn't because of Abraham was an all-star. We know that. He doesn't pick us because we're pickable. He picks us because he wants to. Because he initiates. God comes to Abraham and he says, he says I'm, I'm, I want to initiate a relationship with you. So God makes this promise to Abraham. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I'm going to bless you. He says, go. First of all, you've got to make a move of faith, right? I mean, anyone ever heard that? You've got to put your money where your mouth is. Right? Like faith is complete by acting, right? So if I said, if, if, if Shelby, if she guaranteed that if I fall right now, she'd catch me. I still, if I'm going to, I believe you, but I got to fall. Let's try it. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But you, but you got to put your money where your mouth is. And so Abraham has to go. But here's the thing. It's by grace. He says it right there. Look at what it says. If you have your Bible, check this out and give your pen out. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how to like underline something and write it in there. And you're going to get excited. If you have a phone, just get out a pen and just gouge this in your phone. Right where it goes. That's how exciting this is. It says in verse 18, it says, For if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it. Underline that. God gave it. Underline that and write the word grace. Because that is a picture of grace. God gave it to him. It wasn't, he didn't earn it. Nothing that he did to deserve it. God just gave it to him. 
promise. It was grace. God made a promise to Abraham by grace, verse 18. And then we see number two is that God always keeps his promises. Look in, in verse 17. It says, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards. Now these people are big on the law. These Judaizers. Like, you got to follow the law, the law, the law. And, and, and Paul's making this argument. Guess what? Before there was the law, there was a promise. That wasn't the beginning. You know, let's, look, let's go all the way back to the promise. And that was by grace. He goes, he goes it does not, when, when this law comes, it doesn't annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So ask to make the promise void. You can't void out God's promises. Why? Because God always keeps his promises. So that's what Paul's saying. God always keeps his promises. Number three in your notes is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. That's the good news. That's what, when Jesus came, that was what was so radical. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus fulfills the promise that God made to Abraham in the first book of the Bible. I only read the New Testament. Start reading the Old Testament because there's awesome stuff in there. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. In verse 16, he goes... Uh, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring, who is who? Who is the promise? It's Christ. Because Jesus is the Messiah. You guys know what the difference between the word Messiah and Christ is? It's the same thing. One's in Hebrew. Messiah is a Hebrew word. Christ is a Greek word. Saying Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. It all points to Jesus. The Old Testament, New Testament, my life, your life, our, our marriages, it all points to Jesus somehow. That's why it's so important. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. And then he says, in the next section, he goes, and then the, and the law points to to Jesus. The very thing that you're trying to, 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 to get everybody in, it just points back to Jesus. So why? What are you doing? Right? In verse 19 and 20, he goes like this. He goes, why then the law? That's a good question. They're arguing that we need the law. Paul's arguing that we, that, that we, that we no longer need the law like, like we did. And the question is, why then was the law given? That's a good question. And Paul answers it. He goes, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediator implies more than one, but God is one. What is Paul saying here? Again, I'll give you three things. First one, God gave the law through Moses. He's the intermediary that Paul's talking about. The he gave it the law to Moses. He's the intermediary, and then he gave it to the people. Now, here's something awesome. Go ahead and get your pen out if you want to gouge your phone some more. This is awesome. In this section, he goes like this. Abraham had a promise by what? Grace. And then he gave the law, which is what? Was the truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Don't have to turn in your Bibles. I'm just going to tell you right now. You can look at it later. John 1, 14 and John 1, 17. Jesus came with truth and grace. Or we could sing, joy to the world, right? He ruled the world 
with truth and grace. That's where that verse comes from. And Paul is making the argument that wasn't new in John chapter 1. It's all the way through the Bible. Jesus came with truth and grace. It was all supposed to point to Jesus. And God gave the law through Moses. And then number two, God is always just. God is always just. The law, the law, he says what? Was given because of transgressions. What's that mean? It means this. It means we need the law because the law doesn't make us sinners. The law just shows us that we're sinners. It's like marriage, right? Marriage, guys, won't make you selfish, but it will show you how selfish you are. Right? The law is like that. It's a mirror. You look at it and you go like, man, I'm my hair. I need, someone should have told me. Right? Ever gone through the whole day and then you look in the mirror and you're like, whoa, was that thing in my tooth all day? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> right? That's what the law does. It reveals our sin. It, it because of transgressions. Now listen, this is not where it stops. It's not there to make you feel bad about yourself. It's there to point to you and to show you you are not okay. You're not doing fine. How you doing? Fine. Liar. <laughs> right? You are not doing fine. We are all a huge mess in here. That's one thing we have in common. We might have more things in common. Like, I don't know, no one else has this shirt on. But we have other things in common. Um, Dodgers. You know Dodger fans? Yeah. All right, so we got that in common. A couple of us are going to heaven. And <laughs> we have other things in common. One thing we have in common is we're a mess, and the law shows us that. But it's not designed to just condemn us, to show us that. It's designed beyond that to show us that we have a need. And that need is Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. We desperately need God's grace. We cannot earn it. On our own. That's the argument Paul's making. You can't, you know, if, if, if the law was good news, if you could follow it, it might be good news. But you're terrible at it. So it's not good news. It points to the good news. It shows you the need for the good news. And Jesus is that need. It, it, it helps us see how much we need grace. And our three, our number three is this. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. And we see that, it says like this. It goes... Why then the law? It was, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come. Remember what he said the offspring was? Who was it? Jesus. Until Jesus comes. It points to Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law perfectly. That's what we say when Jesus was perfect. He fulfilled the requirements of the law perfectly. That what we could not do. He fulfilled it perfectly. He died on a cross so that us who are constantly breaking the law, could be saved. That's what he's saying. So Jesus fulfills the requirements of the law. In Galatians 2.21, uh, just a chapter earlier, he goes, Paul makes this argument. He goes, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If, if, we, didn't, if we could be right with God through the law, then, then Jesus died for no purpose. But Jesus did die for a purpose. He did die for a purpose. And that purpose was to fulfill the promise of Abraham, made to Abraham and to fulfill the law that was, given, that was given to Moses and to give us good news, the gospel. So the last thing I want to make it, that he makes is this, is that, is that uh, Abraham points to, Mo, to Jesus, uh, Moses points to Jesus, 
And the gospel points to Jesus. He says that in Galatians 3, 21 and 22. It says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, there it is. If the law could give life, you hear him saying that? What gives life is this question that's being stirred up. Where does life, true life, not just breathing, but living, where does that come from? He says the law, if the law could give life, but it can't. The righteousness would indeed be by the law if that were the case. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You know what we need? We don't need to follow the law. Paul's making three arguments. You know what we need? We need, we need faith. He's saying, he said, for those who believe, by faith. We need faith. You know what else he's saying? He's saying we need grace. We need grace. You, we want to earn it, but you can't. We want to be entitled, like, oh, I deserve to be happy. I deserve all these things. No, you don't. You know what you deserve? That's what the law will show you. It will show you what you deserve. And, and, and it, will, it will bring you to your knees and say, I don't need entitlement. I need mercy. And God is merciful. That's why it's good news. So we need grace. And lastly, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. So to close off this section and move on to the next section, which I know Kyle's excited about. I think Dominic might be excited. To close this off, this is just a profound thing that I've learned in my life. That God, He gives the law. He gives promise to Abraham. And not only that, He gets all His hands in our lives. You know what God does? He puts people and He puts circumstances in your life. Why? To point you to Jesus. You know what, when we describe that, the, 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 how God intervened in our life and how He put people and circumstances in our life, you know what that's called? It's called a testimony. Many of us have that testimony that Jesus has intervened in our lives. He's made such an impact. He's changed the trajectory of our life. It's called the gospel. And we need it. The what gives life. The other thing Paul does in this letter, besides just saying, you need these things, you need life. He says, let me tell you what you guys are chasing after that don't give life. Let me talk about some things that you guys are pursuing in your lives that do not give life. One of them we know is the law, but let's look at two that Paul gives in this letter. The first one is self-gratification. Self-gratification doesn't give life. It's the me-centered life. And when we, when we say it like that, we're like, oh yeah, I don't do that. Self-gratification. No, it's, it's when you do this. YOLO! You only live once, man. Live it up, right? If it feels good, do it. I'm just doing what makes me happy. Don't judge me. Those are all part of this. Like, I know what makes me happy. I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. In chapter 5, Galatians, he's going to make this argument that the works of the flesh, and he describes them. One of them is called this word, in, in ESV, he calls it sensuality. It's called licentiousness. It means lawlessness. It means doing whatever you want. It means gratifying your own, your own simple desire or your own, just what you think is, what you think is going to fill you. And the fact is, it just doesn't. In Galatians 2.20, chapter 4, he goes like this. He makes this profound statement. You might have a tattoo of this, some of you guys. Very cool. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What do you hear in there? Do what you want? Or do you hear, I no longer live, but Jesus lives for me. It's not a me-centered life, it's a gospel-centered life. It's a Christ-centered life. It's saying, I'm going to leverage my life for the kingdom of God because he loved me, and I'm so excited about that, I just want to. That's what Paul's saying. It's the opposite of self-gratification. And the problem with self-gratification is this. It takes advantage of grace. It's the, it's the epitome of entitlement. I deserve to be here. I just want to be. I just deserve it. You know what? When you deserve it, you know what that makes you? Miserable. You're never thankful. Because you either get what you deserve or you didn't get what you deserve. Now, you know, I, I got I got them. You know, I... Right? <laughs> My donut almost came out. <laughs> I didn't let it. Self-control. That's another one, the work of the flesh. Thank you, Paul. Take advantage, it takes advantage of the grace. I deserve it. I deserve to be happy, but it leads to be, us being miserable. It feeds on the flesh, right? It feeds on the flesh. It, it feels good. Do it. You know why the number one reason why you shouldn't follow your heart? I don't know who told you to follow your heart. I'm sure they loved you, but it's horrible life. Don't follow your heart. I'm telling here to tell you. Public service and announcement. Don't follow your heart. In Deuteronomy, Jesus goes, don't, or God, or God goes, don't follow your heart. Why? Because your heart can get darkened. Your heart can get hurt. Your heart can get broken. And plus, your heart, like, when, I don't know, you get voices in your head like me, but I get voices in my head. I don't know which one's which, but sometimes it's my stomach and sometimes it's my heart. And I don't know the difference. Our stomach, like our appetite gives us desires, right? Are you, are you following your heart or are you following your stomach? Any of you ever been hangry? That's when you get so hungry that you're literally angry. That's your appetite. It, it will lead you astray. Don't follow your heart. That's just, that one's free. Don't follow your heart, people. Because it feeds on the flesh. But here's the thing. Listen. Results. The results of self-gratification. This is so important. Spiritual fatigue. We experience it as emptiness. This isn't working. I'm empty inside. I'm trying so hard and I just, nothing's, I'm not happy. Not, I'm miserable. It's, you're empty. That's what it leads to. It's called spiritual fatigue. Strife. Chasing the wind. What happens with self-gratification is you chase that. Ah, I'm going to eat it up. I'm going to do that. It's going to make me happy. And then uh, a little bit longer, you wait and then you're empty again. It never works. You always need something more. You always need the next thing. It just doesn't work. It's strife. Sin, right? You just get through those moments when you're in self-gratification where you're, just, you're miserable and you're like, I'm, I'm a horrible person. No one loves me, right? Right? You're a whiner. Just kidding. You're not a whiner. You can do that all you want. That was the donut thing. Do not listen to the donut but, but, but sin, I'm messed up. I'm no good. There's something wrong with me. And rather than it pointing to Jesus, like the law, it's condemnation and you run from Jesus and it leads to, it leads to a hardened heart. It leads to a hatred to God. You start blaming God. I'm miserable and it's his fault. I don't know. Have you really looked at the pattern of your life? It was self-gratification that led you there, not God. He called you out of that. And the next one is, is this. It's self-righteousness. It's the other end of the coin. It's a law-centered life. It's legalism. Dutiful living. Strict and, 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 and dry living. And number one, the problem with this is you're trying to earn grace. See, when your self-gratification is saying, I deserve, I deserve it. Self-righteousness is this. I need to earn it. I want to earn it. 
Do you deserve it or you want to earn it? Both. Both are not what God's calling us to. Self-gratification leads to I want to earn it. It feeds on pride. Look what I did. Look what I did. I want to earn it so I can say, look at what I did. I can feel good about myself. It, it feeds on pride. The results? Spiritual fatigue. Strife. Sin. Even hatred to God. It's the same ending. No wonder the enemy will send you on either route. He'll send you on either route. Self-gratification, the freedom route, I'm to do whatever I want. Or the strict, I'm going to follow these strict rules, self-discipline, and I'm going to earn it. They both lead to emptiness. And Paul makes this argument, that's not life. Don't let these guys come in and tell you that that's life. That's not life. I already shared with you everything you need to know to find life. It's found in Christ, in Christ alone, in faith, in by grace, through Christ alone. It's his argument. And so I want to close by this. He, he, he closes this with this beautiful thing. He says, let me talk to you again. I told you, I told you don't follow the, those other Gospels. Follow the true Gospel. Let me just recapitulate how beautiful the Gospel is. And that's how he, he ends it. He goes like this. Now in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. We're going to talk about that a ton next week, so I won't cover that. But in order that we might be justified by faith. Listen to this, verse 25. Get your pen out or your little whatever you're gouging your phone with. Sorry. Remember, Community Church is not going to buy you uh, another phone. Um, that's just whatever that disclaimer. But now, it goes like this. But now that faith has come. We love to talk about this here at Remembrance Community Church. We call them butt gods. You know, like here's, he goes, until all this happened, like your life was a mess. And then God intervened. It's a but God. My life's horrible. I don't know how it's going to get fixed. Throw a but God at it. Now this is B-U-T-G-O-D. Not B-U-T-T-T or B-U-T-T-G-O. That's a weird yoga thing. But this is different. But now that faith has come, but God. He goes, but God intervenes. Now we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ. Jesus, in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Prepare to get excited with me. Let's look at five things he says here. First thing he says is we are justified by faith. We are justified by faith. We can't earn it. We want to earn it. You can't earn it. We were separated from God. We were separated from God because of our sin. That was the emptiness we were experiencing. We didn't know how to put our finger on it. We didn't know what it was. But that is what it, what it is. It's the emptiness that you feel. Your separation from God is a chasm. It's an emptiness. It's a, it's a divide. And he died on a cross to fill that void. To reconcile us to himself. And now we're justified because of what he did. We're justified in God's eyes. No longer holds the record against us. Record clean, white as snow, justified in God's eyes relationally because of Jesus. Is that good news? Amen. If that was all we were going to say, you'd be minimally silent. But watch this. And he goes, and we are baptized into Christ. 
It doesn't mean water baptism. What this means, this type of baptism, it means you're, you're, you're now identified with Christ. To be baptized with Christ is to be identified with Christ. Water baptism is an outward expression of something that true that happens on the inside. You become identified with Christ, and then you get baptized to publicly show that you're now identified with Christ. This is what it means. It means you're His. If you're baptized, then, 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 then He's your God, and you're His. That is the simplest way I can say it. What is baptism? He's your God, and you're His. Isn't that awesome? Amen. And then he says, and put on Christ. You put him on Christ. And here's the thing. For the Jews that were hearing, this was awesome. It would have reminded them of, of Isaiah 64. He says, and you take this soiled garment that you have, and you take it off, and you put on a, a, a robe of righteousness. Isaiah 64. The Jewish people would say, well, I'm going to put on Christ. I'm going to put off my old life, all the, all the slime and the sin and the shame and all the guilt. I'm going to put all that off. I'm going to nail it to the cross, and I'm going to put on Christ. To the, to the Gentiles who were hearing this, the Roman Gentiles, they had this little thing, and Paul knew this. Paul's a genius. He knew that when you were a kid and you grew up and you were a Roman, and you were, uh, uh, when you had a little bit of money you were going to be a Roman citizen, you would, you would wear a, a childhood garment. You would wear it to school, kind of like a school uniform. And then you would have a rite of passage at one point in your life. Usually around like 13 years old, you'd have a rite of passage ceremony. You would take off your childhood garment, and you would put on the, the toga the toga of being a Roman citizen. It was a big deal. And here Paul's going, put on Christ. Something new. If you've ever been out like snowboarding or skiing and you're all wet and cold, just think about it. You take those wet socks off, put on fresh warm socks. Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> put on Christ, he's saying. If you've ever, if you've ever seen a kid, right, and they, they get their first soccer uniform or their first baseball uniform, they put it on and they're beaming, it changes their face and they won't take it off, and they want to sleep with it, right? With their cleats and everything, and their glove. And they're sleeping with it. He's like, put on Christ. Or think of that bride. Watch a bride's face. She puts on her wedding gown. And he says, put on Christ. That's a beautiful picture. And he says, everyone is welcome. Right? He goes, there's no longer, for those who are in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Gentile or male or female or slave. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're from Palos Verdes or Manhattan or Wilmington. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter if, if it doesn't matter. Our common denominator is what? Christ. Because it's all about Jesus, he's saying. That's what he's saying. We're all one now because of Jesus. And listen to this, the last thing he goes, and we're heirs according to a promise. That means you have a hope. And you have a future. You're heirs of a promise that God made all the way back through Abraham and fulfilled it with, 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 with a bit now. Now he's fulfilled it to some extent. And there's more coming. He's coming back. It's going to get even better. Hallelujah. We're going to heaven. That's what he's saying. And so what's the what now? The what now as we prepare for worship? Paul in, verse, in, in the first chapter, and we can start to understand what he's saying. I'm so astonished that you're leaving what I told you and going back to that that, that doesn't give life. In verse 3, he starts off, you foolish Galatians. I love you so much that you're being foolish. Why would you try to 
filling. Why would you try to do what makes you happy when you have no idea and it keeps leaving you empty and you have a God in heaven who wants to fill you? He knows it all. Why not just give your whole life to him? Let him handle it. That's the what now. Why would you why would you try to earn it when you cannot earn it? You cannot earn it. You're just tired and, and you're disappointed and you're discouraged because you can't earn it. And Jesus has already earned it. He died on the cross and it's grace. We need to live in that. That's Paul's argument. So let's worship him.